Welcome to the Sooners Extra Podcast powered by the Oklahoman. I'm your host, Ryan Aber, here with fellow beat writer Joe Masato. The Sooners Extra Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com. Uh, Joe, we're recording this podcast on uh, Tuesday afternoon. Got a chance to talk to a lot of Oklahoma offensive players and to uh, Lincoln Riley on Monday night as the uh, Sooners get ready for a bye week this week. No, no, no game on Saturday as they get ready to open Big 12 play on September 28th at home against Texas Tech. What was your biggest takeaway from what uh, Riley and the players had to say on Monday? Yeah, so we, we talked to a lot of defensive players. Um, my, my biggest takeaway um, came from Alex Grinch and guys like Kenneth Murray and Patrick Fields and everyone else that talked about it is the defensive rotations, and it's something we're going to write about for Friday. But OU is playing guys like Murray and Neville Gallimore and um, – just basically everyone fewer snaps this year compared to last year it's a it's a thing that Alex Grinch believes in I think his quote was he would rather have 40 max snaps than 80 snaps at not uh, full effort so you know when some fans are worried about oh no is Kenneth Murray hurt why is he coming out of the game <laughs> why is a guy like Brian Mead coming in it's that they feel confident in Brian Mead and they also want to give Kenneth Murray a, a break and I think you're going to see um, especially along the defensive line and in the linebacking core and, and you've seen it with Jane Davis playing so much in the secondary. You, you, just a lot more defensive rotation. Yeah, I mean, we, we saw it across the board. Laurent Stokes played a, a, a pretty good amount there with Jalen Redmond rotating. Um, Robert Barnes got a chance to play a little bit. Brian Osamoa, Nick Benito had a, a really big yeah. uh, sack in that Broyles game. Broyles played. Broyles uh, uh, giving them, them some depth on that back end as, as well. So I, I think this is something that's just sort of the new norm under Alex Grinch that we're going to see a lot more rotations as long as he feels comfortable with those guys uh, on the second and third level throwing them out there that you're not going to see guys playing all uh, 70, 80, even 90 snaps a game. Yeah, and this is not at all the mindset offensively, but in a way you're seeing a similar thing so far um, on that side, and part of it's because it's you know been some lopsided score so far. But through three games, I can't think of a season in which they could be more fresh than this. I mean, with the amount of defensive rotation that we've already outlined, um, you know, I think the offensive line is coming together. And then, you know, something I wrote about a little yesterday, the running backs have hardly had any carries back there. I mean, uh, I think Trey Sermon uh, leads the running backs, then it's Stevenson, then Kennedy Brooks. Jalen Hurts has more carries than anybody. So kind of across the team – on both sides of the ball, um, especially heading into a bye week, this is a pretty fresh Sooner team. Yeah, just uh, sticking with those running backs there, uh, just looking at the numbers, Jalen Hurts has 38 carries, and a lot of those are, are scramble plays, although a fair amount of them are, are designed. But Trey Sermon has 27, Ramondre Stevenson has 21, and Kennedy Brooks has 17. I asked Lincoln Riley this yesterday. Does the way that this offense is played out over the first three games keep those running backs fresh to this point, fresher maybe than they were a year ago? And he said absolutely. And I, I think that that's something they're going to need, uh, those three guys. I mean, we've seen pretty much every year in recent memory at some point one of those running backs gets banged up and uh, has to miss action. 
they they need every guy ready to go back there and it also sounds like there's going to be one more back there you know maybe sooner than we thought in tj pledger after he had the hand surgery right before the season opener sounds like he could be uh, nearing return perhaps as early as the game against kansas yeah so that that's just a fourth option they could put back there i mean i think they feel lincoln said yesterday that sermon and brooks are still 1a and 1b in that backfield next is ramondre stevenson who um some of it has came in garbage time but he's just been really effective 10.4 excuse me that's brooks just to show you the amount of guys 10.4 stevenson's right at nine yards per carry um so pledger would be that number four guy bit of a change of pace guy stevenson's uh more of the power guy, think of short yardage, goal line type situations. But, um, yeah, I mean, Riley said that it's a probably a long shot that Pledger plays next week against Texas Tech, but any time after that, um, his his return will just give them another option in an already deep room. Yeah, no doubt about it. So that's going to be uh, something interesting to watch here, not against Texas Tech, uh, like Joe mentioned, but in all likelihood against Kansas that T.J. Pledger gets back there, although I, I think right now it's going to be hard to unseat Ramondre Stevenson from that number three spot and and find many carries for, for Pledger, although uh, Pledger's a, a different kind of guy, sort of a change of pace. Uh, type running back, I think maybe it's easier for Ramondre Stevenson to find a uh, solidified role back there. But uh, those running backs have been really good across the board, even if they ha- haven't had very many carries. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think part of it is because they're so fresh. I mean, there are, it's the, the, you look at these yards per carry, and it's out of this world how effective they've been and. Well, yeah, I was I was just adding it up, and I was trying to sort of stall there to to get everything added up um, before you finish that answer. Um, if you talk about the top four runners on this team, which are Jalen Hurts and those three running backs we mentioned, Trey Sermon, Ramondre Stevenson, and Kennedy Brooks, they're averaging more than nine yards per carry, nine point zero three, which is pretty incredible. And Jalen Hurts uh, at 9.8, Kennedy Brooks at 10.4 leading the way, and then uh, Stevenson 8.7 and Sermon at 7.3. So that that group has been very, very effective uh, through the non-conference portion of this schedule. Yeah, so looking at their numbers compared to the rest of the Big 12, out of the 12 uh, top yards per carry guys in the conference, four are from OU. I mean, Sermon... Hertz, Brooks, and Stevenson are all in the top twelve. It's it's incredible. So I think it's going to get a little bit tougher here uh, moving forward. But I also think you're going to have games, uh, sort of like uh, like Lincoln Riley mentioned last night. You're going to have games where you're going to have to uh, have a player carry more of a load than what we've seen to this point. Yeah, I'm talking about running back specifically. Yeah, I mean there's. This isn't an offense that there's going to be a featured guy, it, it doesn't look like. Yeah, which is, to me, it's a good sign that they have that. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that both Trey Sermon and Kennedy Brooks can be featured guys. Heck, maybe Ramondre Stevenson uh, could be too if he was given the opportunity. But uh, to this point, their running game has been fantastic. I thought 
on Saturday, the offensive line played better. I, as I mentioned in uh, Sunday's Oklahoma, and I still don't think they're at the level, or uh, I'm not going to say not close to the level, but uh, they're certainly not a, a Joe Moore Award type offensive line right now. There's too many uh, slips, too many penalties, to things like that. But when they're on, when they block well, uh, they they performed. Uh, performed admirably there and I thought it was a big step forward from last week uh, to uh, from South Dakota just because South Dakota they sort of look like a mess uh, all up there and last week there were some breakdowns but at the same time you saw some signs and it was against the defensive line UCLA is not very good defensively they're not very good at any portion of the game but probably if you put a strength to UCLA it's that defensive line and I thought that uh, the the OU's offensive line performed better. Yeah, it was a big test, and I I think that you know Riley talked about this yesterday that you know there's still some there's still some things they need to correct, but just in his answer, you could tell that he feels pretty good about that position group. And I mean, everyone knows Bill Beatonbow's reputation. The longer they get with him, the better they're going to get. It's still. Um, a fairly young group, but more so than young, just still inexperienced playing with each other. Yeah, it is. I, I think we're going to continue to see progress up there. I think uh, uh, Marcus Hayes, um, some of the other guy, Adrian Ely, I thought had his moments on uh, on Saturday. I think they're going to continue to get better up there. And, and it's interesting, too, the rotations that we've seen. We talked about the offensive line rotations, but the fact that they've been so willing to throw Ian McIver out there for Creed Humphrey um, a little bit earlier than a lot of the starters leave, I think uh, speaks to one, they feel like they need to get him some some snaps on the field to get acclimated just in case anything happens. More and more, my belief is that if Creed Humphrey were to get hurt and they needed to do something else, that it would be Ian McIver there. I think when that uh, depth chart was first released, my thought was, well, Ian McIver's listed as a backup, but he's not really the backup. That if uh, Creed got hurt, they would shift a, a guard over uh, to center. But the way that this has played out makes me think that uh, Ian McIver is the actual backup there at center. Well, and the other thing it shows, I mean, I think that is a great point that none of us thought Ian McIver was the legitimate backup center, but now he looks like he might. Then the other point, there's a reason Creed Humphrey is the first guy being subbed out. He's the most valuable guy on that offensive line. Fewer snaps uh, equals a fewer opportunities to get hurt. So I think it's just them, as much as they're giving McIver more playing time, it's also giving Humphrey less playing time because he doesn't really need it and they don't want him to get hurt. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to take a break there. We'll be back on the other side with more of the Sooners Extra podcast. Don't forget to shoot us a review at the Apple Store or in the Google Podcasts app. We sure do appreciate it. And thanks for tuning in each week. This is the Sooners Extra podcast presented by Zach. Welcome back to the Sooners Extra Podcast, brought to you by Zaxby's, taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com. Once again, I'm your host, Ryan Aber, here with Joe Masato. Uh, 
Joe, Jenny uh, Carlson and I talked about this a little bit in the, the postgame podcast, but we're going to do things a little bit differently uh, here, uh, assessing where the Sooners are through non-conference play. Um, last year was a little bit different because we had a conference game before the end of non-conference. This year, all three of those games bunched up, but uh, how much better do you believe Oklahoma's defense is uh, than it was a year ago, and why? Well, I don't know. I, I, I'm going to get the easy answer in that it's too early to tell. I mean, I think truly their only test so far has been Houston. Houston, maybe not elite, but they have an offense that would definitely compete in the Big 12 and be in at least in the middle of the pack, if not in the upper echelon of the Big 12. Um, they handled it marginally well. I mean, I think that's a game they could have given up points in the 40s last year, and they gave up points in the low 30s. So, um, you know, numbers-wise, it's not all that different from what they gave up through three games last year. Now, what you have seen in is in a is a uptick in turnovers, and, and if you just multiply it out throughout the rest of the season, they're going to blow away the 11 takeaways they had last year, which was one of the worst marks in college football. So you like to see and, that. And the worst mark in OU football history, recorded history. Yeah, so you obviously like to see that because that's the whole point of Alex Grinch's scheme is to that speed D and forcing takeaways, as they call it. So um, you are seeing progress on that side of the ball. I do think you're seeing – Yeah. I, I know people don't always like to hear this, but like a a better mentality. I don't know how to quantify that. You don't always like, you know, see it on the field, but just talking to these guys versus talking to the guys last year, you can just tell they're more bought in and they're more invested in what they're doing this year. Yeah, you know, that that's something speaking to that, something that I asked some players about on Monday night is when things go bad this year, how different is it? How different does it feel among the team? Um, versus what they experienced a year ago. And a lot of them, uh, you know, it's it's funny. We sort of laugh or, or joke about this Ruffin McNeil saying that he had last year with the forget it and drive on, uh, saying that's not around anymore. But it seems like Alex Wrench has sort of uh, kept that up in that it's the next play, the next play, the next play. There's such a focus on making sure that the next play is done right, that they're, it seems like they're able to recover from those things a little bit better than they were a year ago, and we've seen that. I mean, heck, we saw it on Saturday. There were a couple moments when it looked like the defense might just collapse on itself, and it didn't. I think to me, yes, these opponents that they played in uh, Houston, South Dakota, and UCLA – haven't been to the level that they're going to face. They're going to face better offenses. They're going to face much better offenses in the Big 12. But you see some signs that are going to translate. I think that that's one of them. I think the turnovers that you mentioned, you know, Mike Stoops preached turnovers, but he didn't do it in a 24-7 sort of all-encompassing way that Alex Grinch does. And they make that focus number one, and it's shown to this point it didn't show against Houston, but it showed against South Dakota, it showed against UCLA, and if they're able to continue to do that, then I think the answer is they're significantly better. But even without that, even if the turnovers uh, go to maybe not the low level that they were last year, but 
uh, at a maybe a normal level, then I still think that this defense is better because of uh, the way that they bounce back from getting beat and because of the depth that they're building there with some of those guys we mentioned earlier, with, with guys like Jaden Davis. I think the cornerback spot has just been phenomenal for this team to this point. Obviously, they'll get tested quite a bit. But building uh, depth, obviously, LaRon Stokes and, and Jalen Redmond rotating there, uh, Nick Benito uh, and John Michael Terry, another spot where there's a lot of rotation going on there. And I think that's uh, a really positive sign. And um, I think getting Kenneth Mann back uh, will certainly help uh, help that if they're able to, to play him. It sounds like there's a good chance that he's able to go. Um, will help that depth up front and they can just keep rotating guys out and be much much fresher which is something that last year's defense really wasn't able to do any changes that they made last year was out of necessity yeah so so there's a lot going for the defense and I think it does start with Grinch and and kind of that mindset and then you mentioned the second aspect of this which is better depth than we saw last year and more rotations as a result of that better depth I also think, I mean, we keep talking about how they're going to be more tested in the Big 12. I think that's obviously true, but they're not going to be tested for another month probably. I mean, Texas Tech's offense looked terrible after Alan Bowman went out, and he, I mean, he came back in, but now he's out for the next several weeks. Kansas's offense um, is not going to be too big of a test. Texas has... Whoa, 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 whoa. Did you see what Kansas did on Saturday? I, I did, and, and as I said, Kansas's offense is not going to be did. too big of a test. <laughs> Um, also, did you see what Puka Williams did to OU last year? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm not saying it shouldn't be a test. It might, it might be a test if they really aren't that much better than they were last year. I, but it shouldn't think, be a test for a good defense. I, I think no, this isn't going to be the test that Texas is going to be. It's not going to be the test that Oklahoma State is going to be. But at this point. You know, I've sort of been circling that Texas Tech game as the one where eh, we start finding something else out about this offense. Maybe it could be that Kansas game because of how much Texas Tech offense has struggled, certainly uh, with Jet Duffy in there over Alan Bowman, and then also with what Kansas looked like. We'll see. Uh, we'll see if they're able to keep that up, but that's going to be uh, something to watch. Maybe. I, I'm going to say Texas Joe. is going to be – Kansas scored seven points on Coastal Carolina. So, I mean, yeah, they, they beat up on Boston College, who is a really good team. I, I was shocked at that result. But just like, I don't know. I mean, if if they hold Kansas to 21 points, I don't think anyone should be too excited. No, I, I would agree with that. Although, you know, um, I think the fact that uh, – They've got Puka Williams back. They're getting him more in the flow of the offense. Although I think he had uh, had has had 22 carries in each of the last two games. Um, I, so I just think that uh, when you're talking about the first five games as a whole, you know maybe that Kansas bench game is a little bit more of a benchmark than we had anticipated, and certainly mainly the Texas Tech game is going to be less of a benchmark. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And I, I just think as you look through the schedule, there's, I just don't think the Big 12 is as good offensively this year as they were last year. Obviously, West Virginia with that quarterback change and all the personnel moves, they're not as good offensively. 
Kansas State definitely looked impressive over Mississippi State, but that's more of a defensive-minded team. Iowa State's had their offensive struggles, but then those last three games, Baylor, TCU, Oklahoma State, I think you're looking at um, three tough tests, but it's a really backloaded schedule as far as offensive go, go, with the exception of that Texas game on October 12th. Yeah, and it's um, looking at the, excuse me, looking at total offense ratings, you know, usually you see all kinds of Big 12 teams up there in the top 10. Not the case this year. Oklahoma is number one. Uh, it, it's crazy. Oklahoma is 20 yards per game better than the number two team, which is Utah State. They are 72.4 yards per game better than the number three team on that list, uh, UCF. That's an incredible difference. But you've got to drop, uh, I say all the way, still still uh, not a bad showing, but drop all the way to number 12 uh at Oklahoma State before you get to the next Big 12 team and they they're averaging 547 yards per game which is 130 uh approximately 130 129.7 uh yards per game less than the Sooners uh Baylor uh coming in at 15 Texas Tech at number 20 um although like I said their offense is going to change a lot there without Alan Bowman now but uh, let's see if there's any others in the top 50. Kansas State is at 44 right now, TCU at 47, but uh, not the kind of offensive firepower that I think, uh, well, certainly what we saw in this conference uh, last year, but not even maybe what we expected. Uh, Iowa State, uh, number 51, going a little bit farther down the list, really just trying to scan through, mainly trying to see where we get with uh, Texas Kansas Kansas is at 77. Um, let's see. Did I miss Texas in the Yeah, surely Texas is above that. Let's see here. Sorry. I'm uh... – Yeah, I – Yeah, Texas is at 29. I did miss them. They're averaging a touch under 500 yards per game, 497.7. Uh, but Oklahoma, 676.7 uh, through those three games. Yeah, I think the narrative in the Big 12 is going to change a little bit this year. And I'm not saying the conference is – I mean, I think it's probably a little worse than it was last year. But I think the offenses are – don't have the same firepower. And therefore, I don't think people are going to make a mockery of it nationally because I don't think you're going to see the scoring outputs that you saw last year. And that – obviously should help OU's defense. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about the Big 12 coming out on the other side of the break, but we're going to take another break here on the Sooners Extra podcast. Uh, Be sure and bookmark RedRiverRivalryRadio.com for Oklahoma, Texas Week as we launch a 24-hour, seven-day-long pop-up radio station celebrating this historic rivalry. We look forward as we go live on October 5th in preparation for the October 12th showdown. That's uh, not too far away. We're getting pretty close. I'm Ryan Aber, and this is the Sooners Extra Podcast presented by Zach. Welcome back to the Sooners Extra Podcast presented by Zaxby's. Uh, taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com. And, uh, Joe, 
as I mentioned right before we went to break, that we were going to talk a little bit more about uh, the Big 12. And let's let's start there as we sort of get to catch our breath a little bit uh, in the, the bye week. What do you make of the Big 12 so far, not only with like what we said about offenses, but overall a really good weekend last week uh, for the conference, and it seems like this uh, – narrative that we've heard for so many years about how the Big 12 is just really just Oklahoma, but obviously Texas and, and Oklahoma State and TCU have moved in and out. Baylor have moved in and out of that discussion. Um, but I, it, it seems like maybe this conference is off to a better start than I think a lot of people anticipated and heck, even I anticipated. Yeah, you know, I think Barry blogged about this, so catch that if you missed it, but it was sort of a banner week for for the Big 12 and it had a chance to be even better um, you know Texas Tech lost I- Iowa State lost but I-, I think one game that I came away super impressed with was Kansas State at Mississippi State that's a it's a game I think all of us picked Mississippi State to win um, you know and I-, I watched that from start to finish and you know i was i was just most impressed with how kansas state dominated mississippi state physically they made a f- few really really bad special teams mistakes kansas state did on their punt return unit they muffed two punts i think so it could have been even worse than that score indicated they had to eventually come back and win that game but um you know mississippi state's probably a middle tier sec team so going on the road and and winning that game was impressive we talked about kansas that was just the shocker of all shockers. Yeah, um, not only that they won, but they won by twenty-four. Yeah, that, that I I can't explain that, um, especially with what they how bad they looked through the first two weeks against pretty subpar opponents in, in Indiana State and Coastal Carolina. So, um, I think uh, Kansas sort of shined a light on how bad the ACC might be after Clemson. Yeah, they really did. So, you know, maybe now it's the ACC that gets that kind of treatment. But uh, on Monday night, we asked Lincoln Riley about that and if how he felt uh, about that perception. I thought that was an interesting um, answer that he said in the past he has felt like that. The Big 12 sort of got disrespected and overlooked. Uh, because of those gaudy offensive numbers, and he he said that uh, some national networks that cover us, so you can figure out who he's talking about there. But uh, he said he really didn't feel that uh, to this point this year. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, and I haven't really seen that as much yet. Now we're, we're not in conference play, but I, I think the network he's talking about is probably ESPN and just their relationship with the SEC and perceived SEC bias, especially in this part of the country. But, no, I, I don't think that has been a narrative. I think that, um, if anything, the SEC has warmed up a little bit on Oklahoma, especially with with what Jalen Hurts has done. So <laughs> maybe some fans, uh, SEC fans, liking the Sooners. Yeah, and, and Joe knows what he's doing with transitions because we're going to talk <laughs> about Jalen Hurts a little bit. J- Joe, his, his Heisman profile continues to rise. And it's looking more and more. There's a lot, a lot of season uh, to come. Remember, at this time last year, I think everybody had uh, pretty well given the trophy to uh, Tua Tungavailoa. But it's looking like another Jalen Hurts versus Tua Tungavailoa matchup here. There's a lot of other candidates. Uh, uh, Travis Etienne, 
I, I hope I pronounced that right. I'm awful at pronouncing his I think name. Think you got that one. Um, uh, certainly, Trevor Lawrence. Although I think those two guys sort of split the vote a little bit and will help out. Um, Josh Fields has been fantastic um, there at Ohio State, but uh, it looks like they're starting to get a little bit of separation there when you talk about Heisman polls, the Heisman odds between uh, the two guys who were vying for quarterback with the Crimson Tide a year ago. Yeah, it's such a fascinating story. I mean, how, how about if like they only invite two guys to New York uh, at the end of the season, Tua and Jalen Hurts? Well, I think, haven't they said that they'll at least invite, invite three regardless of separation? I could be hmm. wrong about that. Maybe invite like Jerry Judy or something, so you just have the Alabama connections. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, uh, got the odds yesterday from uh, Bet Online and Tua Tungavailoa is the two to one favorite. After that, Jalen Hurts is three to one. He actually passed Trevor Lawrence this week. Trevor Lawrence dropped down to fifteen to two, so basically seven and a half to one. So the list right now: Tungavailoa one, Hurts, then Joe Burrow, uh, who had that great performance over Texas, then Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Jake Fromm, Justin Herbert, Sam Ellinger. So uh, all of those are quarterbacks. The first running back listed is uh, Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin, then you have DeAndre Swift from Georgia, and then Travis Etienne from Clemson. Yeah, and I, I think uh, it was also interesting. I got uh, emailed to me a Heisman predictions map uh, that is based on geotagged uh, Twitter uh, posts and who is talking about who for the Heisman. And, uh, you know, it's certainly not scientific, but it's interesting that Jalen Hurts dominates. Um, I'm trying to think, see what I was looking yeah, at the map. 39 right now. states. Yeah, 39 states. Uh, Tua Tungavailoa, five states. And I'm going to say Tungavailoa as many times as I can, any day, any podcast. Joe Burrow from LSU, three states. And Trevor Lawrence, uh, three states. But Jalen Hurts um, pretty well has, uh, let's see, every state except for Louisiana, yeah. west of the Mississippi. Um, so Joe Burrow yeah. obviously has Louisiana. He also has uh, 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 North Carolina and uh, a couple other states up in the, the north or one other state there up in the northeast. Uh, Tua has Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee. And Maine. And Maine of all for places. The, for the weirdest. Um, I, I don't know. I can't explain and, that. And uh, Trevor Lawrence has South Carolina, Delaware, weird and west virginia also weird um although west virginia is sort of in that uh big 12 slash acc map i think with uh uh certainly there there's a lot of acc folks so um but interesting uh in in that regard just because of uh the way that the heisman committee breaks down the voting by regions um without a major West Coast candidate, Jalen Hurts could fall, could fall and wind up being that guy. Yeah, so you always hear about the regional vote for Heisman voting, and the Southeast usually goes to an SEC guy, which would make sense, or, or in this case with, with Clemson and Trevor Lawrence, that vote could be split three ways between Lawrence, Tua, and Jalen Hurts just because so many people well, in that part of the country and, still love him. And then if, if Travis Etienne has a, a great season as well, he could siphon yeah, some votes from Jerry Trevor Judy, Lawrence as well. Guys like that. So it, DeAndre it's, Swift. 
really going to be fascinating to watch. And then, you know, if Joe Burrow keeps doing what Joe Burrow's done, you know, maybe he's a guy who, um, one, gets himself into that conversation, and two, um, uh, you know, Joe Burrow's number three it, it on the list. Difficult. I mean, to, I think it's a terrible bet, but he's four to one right now. That's <laughs> Joe Burrow has better odds to win the Heisman Trophy than Trevor Lawrence. So if you had that four weeks ago, congratulations. Yeah, which uh, nobody did except for if their last name is Burrow or if they're <laughs> the most optimistic LSU fan in the world. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is. I mean, it's so early still, but he's just not looked as sharp through, even though Clemson's dominating opponents. Um, so I think that's why you've seen his odds drop a little bit. If I remember right, I think he had the highest odds are right there with Tua to begin the season. Uh, but now Jalen Hurts all the way up to 3-1. to one, So just OU's quest for three consecutive Heisman Trophy winners and um, the planning for an honorary statue of Lincoln Riley in Heisman Park. Yeah, but I I will say it's going to be really tough for J- Trevor Lawrence to get himself in this conversation. I mean, looking at their schedule, the toughest game they have left is um, South Carolina, maybe? South Carolina, B.C., Louisville, Florida State, North Carolina? Yeah, I mean, North ACC Carolina, North Carolina or South Carolina? Horrible. No, or no, no, I take that back. The toughest game they have left is uh, November sixteenth against Wake Forest. Yeah, Wake and Forest I still, is three and zero. Yeah, I mean, I still don't know how good Wake Forest is. I think they're better than they have yeah. been, uh, but still, no ranked opponents, uh, no opportunities really for those big time Heisman moments unless you just put up otherworldly numbers. And already, like I said, even if you do that, the the likelihood is that. Travis Etienne puts up big numbers as well, and then you sort of cancel each other out. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. As far as scheduling goes, I mean, I guess the counterpoint would be he could put up some huge numbers against bad teams, but I don't know how impressive that is. Now, you also have an OU team that... I think that could get him to New York, but will it get him to... uh, Yeah. You know, taking the stage on Saturday night is is a little bit more of a question. I, I saw some future lines for the rest of OU's schedule, and they're also a double digit favorite in every single game except Texas and at Oklahoma State in the year. Yeah, so it's uh, but every year at some point we talk about a team that has an easy schedule, and every year you know inevitably that team winds up tripping. I mean, heck, we saw it with OU a couple years ago when they lost to Iowa State. They were able to overcome that, but I think it'd be much more difficult this year uh, with their schedule. But we're going to wrap it up there on the Sooners Extra Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the Sooners Extra Podcast from the Oklahoman. You can drop us a line. I'm on Twitter at R-Y-A-B-E-R or at R-A-B-E-R at Oklahoman.com. Joe? Um, I'm at Joe underscore Masato on Twitter, and that's J-M-U-S-S-A-T-T-O at Oklahoman.com is the email. The Sooners Extra Podcast is presented each week by Zaxby's, taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at Zaxby's.com. Once again, I'm Ryan Aber. You can check out our work every day at Oklahoman.com and every morning in the Oklahoman for the best OU coverage anywhere.